I really admire the vulnerability and the the, the ability to put yourself out there and 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 yeah, be be authentic and 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 share such personal details and embracing the fact that you know not everyone's perfect and I think that's something that I really admire is just the courage to be real. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to inspire wellness for your body and mind. I'm your host, Rachel Jay, and I'm so excited to welcome my guests to the show today. I have the wonderful CEO and founder of the Lip Timber Foundation, Luke Morris, and Marketing and Communications Manager, Katrina Lacandro. Welcome to the show, guys. So happy to have you on for a bit of a chat. Thanks for having us. We're yeah, excited to be you. here. It's going to be so fun. Now, this is quite exciting because obviously, you know, we're ramping up for a big month in September and where there's firstly Women's Health Week, that uh, is the first week of September, but also the Liptember campaign, which also begins in September. So it's so fab to, to have you guys on to talk about these amazing, important initiatives. And we'll get stuck into talking about the campaign a little bit more. But what I wanted to do firstly, I'm really interested to know because I feel like a lot of the people that I speak to who work in this space in health and wellness and mental health have some sort of personal journey or some sort of personal connection or experience that they've had that has led them to this kind of work or to work in this kind of space. So I am interested to know what are your personal experiences that have, have brought you to the area that you work in now? It's a, it's a really interesting one because I get asked that quite a lot because I think it's it's rather unique that it, I guess when I started Liptember, I was quite young, um, relatively young and being a male and people naturally go, you know, is there a story behind that? Was there a connection? But I've been quite fortunate that I haven't had any significant mental health um issues or experiences in my life with friends or family I'm really honest about it of it's quite funny how it started is that I guess that the concept was born first rather than um the the cause we back in when we started in in 2010 it's quite ironic back then that there wasn't a lot of um there was really hardly any female fundraisers for for women's health um, Movember was going gangbusters and we were just talking about, you know, the opportunity to put something together that was something fun that women could do to support women's health. And the more we looked into it, um, we found that women's mental health was such a really, really interesting area, an area that was under-supported um, and started to delve into, I guess, the gender-specific women's mental health, but also the approach of placing a gendered lens on mental health and how Interesting, we found that there was a lot of great work being done with women's cancers um, in that space. And yeah, we, we directed it towards women's mental health. And that was, I guess, how it all originated, but then became incredibly passionate. The, you know, the, the longer we, you know, the more we learned and, and the deeper we got into it. And I've been doing it for 12 years now. So it's sort of, it's, it's become my life. Mm, it's been such a long time, too. 12 years is yeah, quite, is a, a, long quite a long journey. What about you, Katrina? What was your sort of lead into working in this space or your interest in working with women's health or even women's mental health specifically? Yeah, so I think, um, well, being a woman, it's something that definitely <laughs> is close to home for me. But I think um, working for the foundation was a little bit of luck, a little bit of fate um, that brought me that brought me here. Um, at the time, um, it was almost three years ago now, I, had my, I just had my little boy um, the role came up with the foundation and it aligned really well with my skill set and my passions. So I thought, you know what, um, I'm going to go for it. It's a great opportunity to give back and something that I think everybody is passionate about to some degree because I don't know anybody who isn't touched in some way, shape or form, whether or not you experience mental illness yourself or watch a friend go through it or a family member. And so I think it's 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 almost unavoidable in life to have that connection one way or the other. And if I can do something um, even small in what I do in my role to help others, then what a great opportunity to give back and do something that you enjoy at the same time. Yeah, I really love that too. And I, I mean, I feel the same. I, I, 
haven't personally, I mean, I deal, I feel like everybody deals with anxiety these days and that's sort of just a common thing, but, but I definitely have witnessed people in my life who have gone through uh, quite significant mental health issues and challenges. And that's why I'm so passionate about being an advocate for this kind of work as well. And so I think you're right. There's so many, you know, people that we know in our lives that, that have gone through challenges that it's hard to, to not be around it in a way um, that it's so prevalent. And I think also that it's important to note that we don't, you know, we don't often place the importance of just looking after mental health. You don't have to have a mental illness or be right in the thick of mental illness to actually care about mental health and just being mentally healthy and trying to stay on a really um, healthy wavelength um, and do everything that you can to support yourself and your friends in that in that journey. So I think that um, that's obviously something that I'm really passionate about is trying to you know, make sure that you look after yourself and people around you before you get to the point of actually needing help. Mm, yeah, I love that too. Just preventative measures, really. It's it's um, staying on top of it and, and maintaining our own mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really important. Now, Luke, you kind of touched on there the, the beginnings of the Liptember Foundation and uh, sort of how it began. Can you kind of take me back there again and just... Talk us through that startup process because, so like you said, it started 12 years ago, so 2010. And did it begin just as a campaign to begin and then it sort of branched out into this foundation? How did that all sort of go for you? Yeah, how long have we got? <laughs> it's a long, such a <laughs> long-winded story. Points. Yeah, it's funny when people ask me what I do and it's like, oh, do you really want to do the full story? Or, but, yeah, it, um, I guess it was the concept first. We we, we love the idea of getting um, people to wear really bright coloured out their lipstick and looking a bit silly and getting sponsored to do so. Um, and, yeah, the early days was, it was really, really hard. It was, it was, it was I was quite probably feel like I was really young and naive going into it, going, you know, having all the great, you know, best intentions and thinking, you know, yeah, this is something, you know, that's really achievable. And there were times when I was, you know, looking down the barrel going, I can't do this. Like it's, it's too hard. And having so many doors closed on you, I guess when you don't have the runs on the board and, you know, you're trying to get something off the ground in any industry, it's an incredibly hard, hard process. And I think, the main thing that I took from that and what my message is to other people, I guess, on that road is just that the resilience of just sort of, con- you know, keeping keeping on that track and and, and continuing on and, and not being too, you know, deterred. And there were times where I was like, look, I, you know, I was, when we, we first started it, you know, we, we wasn't, a, I was doing secondary jobs to try and, you know, keep it going and, and keeping on. And look, we had some, some great fortune in, um, partnering with Chemist Warehouse as our major partner, which really helped us starting to to get off the ground to start, you know, some real momentum with the campaign. And I think now the really exciting stuff is is our evolution into the foundation and and, and developing more of the focus on our foundation and, and the work we do. I think the campaign's a really fun way for people to get involved, raise funds for our foundation and supporting women's mental health. But um yeah as really that's sort of been in the last couple of years a real emphasis on on I guess the work we do why we're doing what we do um and really placing emphasis on informed impact and and the work that we're doing having a real um focus to the way we the I think that the really important thing that we had recently was a, a national research study that we funded which is allowing us now to identify gaps in women's mental health as a foundation. And I guess the campaign allows us to, to raise those funds to direct towards outcomes that, you know, support those gaps that we're identifying. Um, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really, really long journey. Like in between that, there was, you know, so many ups and downs. And when you look back on it now, it's been a really steady, you know, growth as we've just gone on and raising more and more each year and, you know, then I was really fortunate um, to grow a team. I'd, I'd been doing everything myself and starting to get outstripped um, and doing everything at sort of surface level, which was incredibly hard. And as it was growing, I wasn't growing what was around me. So that's sort of how Cat came into play um, and was my first hire that I brought into the team and, and really changed everything for me. Um, you know, we have such a great working relationship 
um, and see, you know, have, have, I guess, really align with how we see you know, where we want to take the foundation and what we want to do, so, which has been such an, a great experience. Mm, I feel like it's been, it sounds like such a journey and I think that, I mean, even though this is a foundation that is, you know, sort of funding programs, a lot of people who, who work in the space of startups and, you know, whatever the sort of um, expenditure in terms of where the funds are going uh, face a lot of challenges through through growing a team and through growing, a, you know, an organisation. So I'm interested to know what the the biggest challenge has been for you over the last 12 years, what has been the biggest challenge you've faced in in sort of growing the foundation? I think I think challenges change as well. Early days, it was just getting people to to back us and 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 I guess back our vision of what we wanted to do and understand why we're we're doing what we're doing. Um, and then, you know, the, one of the other big challenges that the like that's that's really significant is is the space that we work in is that. Um, that not-for-profit industry is enormous. It's, you know, really oversaturated and everyone's trying to raise funds and awareness for their cause and, and trying to, you know, reach a certain amount of people and it can get really crowded um, to just sort of stand apart from that industry and, 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 and be noticed and, and to get your message across. That can be really, really difficult. Um, I think in the moment too, I'm just, I think something that we're really passionate about is being, a foundation that's really relatable and authentic um, and transparent and, and having a team, I'm, I'm always front of mind for me is growing the foundation in scale that is proportionate to, to what we're raising and it's, you know, it's something that we're comfortable with in our community, comfortable with that we don't have these huge overheads, you know, Kat, myself, Ruby, we work, and Laura work remotely um, so we don't have an office, you know, we're, we're very fortunate in that we keep our, our costs um, quite low and we don't have these big overheads. So it's trying to grow as we grow and, 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 and know when the right time is to invest and what areas to invest in to allow us to further the work we're doing and make more impact, um, but in proportion to, to what the foundation's doing and the foundation's growth. So, yeah, and I, I get, there's other areas too where we get I get really caught um, where, you know, through driving awareness and, and, and getting that cut through is, you know, we took a really strong stance recently where we don't really use, we don't have any um, celebrity ambassadors or influencers. We have really put a focus on our community as our fundraisers have become our ambassadors. They're the real, they're our real heroes and, and the people that make uh, the work we do possible. So we've, you know, Kat has been really heavily behind launching our Real Talk series where we highlight our fundraisers in our community and their stories. And they're real women with really impactful, amazing stories. And what we do is then put them in front and centre of our campaign. They are our ambassadors, which mm. sometimes be a challenge when, you know, media want to, you know, want the, the glossy celebrity to be put forward and we're going, well, this is these are the people we're putting forward. They're everyday real women and that's what we're really passionate about is, is keeping that relatability. Um, but, yeah, that, that's definitely a challenge too. Um, but, yeah, I think challenges change as you, as you grow in different phases of, of development um, for the foundation. Mm, I, I really like that and I love that you have this this centre around community and really focusing on women who are experiencing these issues in their own lives and and I think that's relatable, right? People can relate to that a lot more. And you sort of talked there about the saturated sort of space but in, in this not-for-profit space and everyone sort of has their message, they're trying to get their, their message a, across. What have you found to be the most challenging around raising that awareness. I mean, how is it that you're able to cut through when, you know, in in some ways a lot a lot of not even not-for-profit, just for-profit brands are using sort of more influencers, celebrities and that kind of thing to to endorse their products and promote their message. Uh, how, I guess how are you kind of doing that without that and the biggest challenges you face around driving a r- awareness to women's mental health specifically? Yes, I think that that's a lot about what what I do within the foundation and and help with. Um, And awareness is a massive, massive challenge because, you know, we want to be able to reach every single person in Australia, male, female, non-binary, to let them know about the work that we're doing and why placing a gender lens on mental health is so important. 
Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that I face is people saying, well, there doesn't need to be a gender lens on mental health, mental illness. And I think that's something that we respectfully disagree with because um, there is a big reason why, um, you know, certain support services um, have been missing the mark for women over time. And that is because that mental health affects everybody in a different way. And for women specifically, um, we have different kind of factors that play in our life, biological, um, uh, physiological, social, all which change over a woman's life. Um, and so certain biological factors like just menstruation, menopause, pregnancy, birth, all those things that um, impact um women and and those who identify as female um you know and certain experiences like miscarriage and ovarian and cervical cancer those types of things each present a really unique and diverse um set of challenges and conditions that specifically affect women and so I guess our our stance in it on it is well you know we need to make sure that um support services are tailored um everything needs to be tailored to make sure that we're preventing and managing mental illness um and increasing the overall well-being of women living with existing mental health conditions um and so because of that it's really kind of spurred us on to be like okay well we need to make sure that we're undertaking gender-specific mental health research so that it will help us, like, pave the way for this female-centric um, methodologies when developing new approaches to mental illness prevention and diagnosis and treatment um, And because it hasn't been done before. And that's really where our space, where we fit in. So um, we're really conducting this research not just to fill the gaps, um, when it comes to the challenges that women are facing in their day-to-day -day lives, but also to help bring the foundation to the fore, raise awareness to say, yes, this is why we need it. Um, mm -hmm. These are the these are the gaps and these are the issues that women are facing. Yeah, I, I feel like it's so fascinating. And I have sort of, you know, spent a lot of time, like the foundation, I kind of work with a lot of people in the mental health space, even though I'm not a, a mental health professional myself. But looking at mental health from a a female-centric lens is very unique. Even though I am a woman, I've never thought about it in this way before or framed it in this way before. And sort of looking at the the breakdown of the specific things that women face around mental health and also other sort of maybe medical issues like uh, PCOS or endometriosis, yes. fertility, infertility, uh, all of those kinds of things, it's quite alarming to see that a lot of these are related to mental health issues. And, and we, I would say most people might not have sort of thought about it in this way before. Mm. Um, so you mentioned there this the annual research study, which I'm super excited about. I sort of had a look through and, you know, I, I think this is so great because you're using this information to better inform your choices as a foundation as to, you know, the programs and initiatives that you will fund. But let's talk a little bit about some of the info and the stats yeah. that came out of this research because, to be honest, it was quite alarming to see some of these stats. Oh, wasn't it? And, I mean, media report, hey, I don't know if you read almost the whole 100 pages or whatever it is. Like there's a lot in there. Um, so much. Which we're so proud of. But I think it really came um, from the need to having um, research that's focused around the fundamental requirements for statistics in this space um, and insights on the biological life stage and um, other factors associated with being female that have that significant impact on your mental health, um, but also what the support services um, necessary were to prevent the mental illness and increase the overall um, well-being of, living, uh, of women who were living with um, existing mental health conditions. So, um, what we already knew from previous um, ABS statistics was that if you were a woman, you were 58% more likely to experience mental illness compared to men. Um, and so we already knew that. So this study that we that the Liptember Foundation undertook was about, okay, um, as a representative sample of Australian women, um, what are the issues that women are currently facing and, and how can we um, inform um, our knowledge of each particular condition or issue? Um, and really the, the main overall takeout from that was that one in two Australian women were currently experiencing mental illness 
in 2022. And less than half of those were actually seeking support. Yeah, that was that was firstly the first alarming one. One in two Australian women are experiencing a mental health issue currently. Mm-hmm. And I think the other stat that I picked up from that little portion was um, women 14 years and over, 47% of them have experienced a mental health issue in the past yes. as well. So yes. it's quite alarming to see that there's so many people that, or women specifically, that are experiencing some sort of mental health challenge, but even breaking it down into the actual, uh, you know, uh, what, what the symptoms are, I suppose, or the, the causes, um, a few that I, that stood out to me were anxiety and, and related disorders in yeah. that majority of the 29s and under. Uh, and the body image issue, um, yeah. I feel like, was massive. So this is particularly within the space of that 14 to 29 demo. Can we speak a bit more about that? Because that, I think, as well, because w- what was highlighted under, under under those stats were the top triggers and and that being social media, media messaging, which I think mm. is hugely, uh, obviously, culturally, social media is, you know, what we use as part of normal communication now. Can you speak a little bit more to this? Because I feel like that's that's quite a huge stat there. That, that it is. Have. Yeah. It is. It's, uh, it's something I'm really, like, personally really passionate about too, um, is that double-edged sword of, of social media and we're seeing mental health issues becoming more prevalent earlier and it, it makes real sense of what's going on is that, you know, exposure to social media is getting, you know, at younger and younger ages and creating, you know, really unhealthy expectations and, and pressures on young girls. And um, I'm someone unique that I, I don't have social media. I've got LinkedIn and that's it. And the, the <laughs> team had to really push me into LinkedIn and get me like writing because I just, yeah, I find it such a, it's so, I'm, I'm really conflicted with it because, you know, it's something so important and so ingrained in society is even from a personal experience is that you do, it, it makes things more difficult in life sometimes not having social, but I feel the problems it presents is is all those things you know having those unrealistic expectations and and all that comparison that people didn't have in the past you know if you were having a really bad day you didn't come home and sit on a device and compound your bad day by seeing other people's highlight reel um and I think that's really damaging is is going you know why am I not feeling like this or this person's you know bought a new car and this person's out to dinner and I'm feeling miserable or look how good this person looks but we all know that it's just looking through the keyhole of some what someone wants you to see how they construct their world and and put their best foot forward and 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 trying to yeah create you know an image of what they put out there is is their absolute best and you're not thinking that and I think people can get you know especially for young girls too with, with body image and you don't see you know the ten thousand photos that were taken and the filters applied to it and the editing and the the angles and the lighting and you just see the end result. Um, and I think that's just causing such a significant issue early on for young girls. It's like, it's really hard of how you deal with that. And, you know, we're being really passionate about it. We do a lot of work in that space and work with some organisations that work at a really young age to try and get on top of these issues before they sort of become out of hand, I guess, is the earlier we can intervene and, and, and educate and, and support um, the best chance we have of, of making some inroads in, in that space because it is sort of getting out of hand to a degree. Mm, what do you think, Kat? Because you work in media and comms and I feel like this is, you know, uh, the evolution of digital communications. What's your take on all of this? Yeah, my take is um, it's similar to Luke's, although I do have social media on every single platform. Um, <laughs> so um, I think it's just, you know, it's hard to separate what you know is everyone's highlight reel. But even though you know that, it's still really hard to not compare yourself or strive for that perfection that everybody seems to be showing. Um, but I think, you know, what we try and do on Liptember Foundation Socials is just to um, emphasise the real. This is the real life. This is what we're all experiencing. Emphasise some of the, I guess, you know, more positive affirmation side of things. Some of that um, real lighthearted, feel-good content, but also that raw, nitty-gritty, like this is life kind of content. And I think that people respond really well to that as well. Um, but, yeah, like I, I think the stats don't lie when it comes to what we found and it, it's it's alarming but it's also not not surprising in some sense that, 
you know, overall, uh, you know, 38% of women um, have body image issues in Australia. That's just, you know, from the ages of 14 up. Like, but when you get to um, just the 14 to 19-year-old age bracket, I'm pretty sure it's like 6 in 10 of those. So 60% of teenage girls um, face anxiety and body image issues in 2022. Like, that's just it's incredible, insane, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is insane. And I, I think it's always been an, you know, body image, I think has always been an issue for, for females specifically. And, you know, back in the day when there wasn't social media, it was media, it was more, the focus was placed on more uh, mainstream media, like magazines and, and having those images put out. But now because we've got individual content creators that can literally have their own channels of, of putting out content mm. uh, it, and it's everywhere. Obviously, we're on our mm. devices all the time and, yeah, I mean, it, it isn't surprising, I suppose, to see, but it's just more what, how do we help people with that? Like you said, I, I agree with you. You know, we know that it is a highlight reel and but still we find ourselves comparing and looking and and almost being addicted to looking at these images as well, which yeah. is yeah, that's the what nature. It is. It's the addiction yeah. too and the volume yeah. I think it is. Mm. is like, And I think, you know, the only really way you can approach it is through education and educating people to know how to, to limit their their use. Well, you know, I guess you, you can't, some people, like for, for me, I was, I'm, I'm, I've gone a very different route, but I think minimizing is probably the best middle ground is knowing you know when you've probably been on your phone too much and it's really it's a really slippery slope and we know what social platforms do and the tricks they have to keep you addicted to to looking at your device um which makes it really really hard they're always trying to find ways to keep you on your device so and it's also I find it stems into you know I was really fortunate growing up that you know, you'd come home from school and, you, you know, I was really fortunate in, you know, my experience at school, but I could imagine someone that's having a hard time at school. It was hard enough back then, but coming home now, it just follows you home. And it's the yeah. same thing for work. You know what I mean? Like if you had a bad day at work before social and before phone, like you'd be like, well, I'm going to get in there early tomorrow morning, crack a dawn and I'll, I'll sort it out. And you disconnect and you go home and your, your home was a space to unwind if someone wanted to contact you, it would have to be, it would be an emergency and they'd probably call your landline. So, <laughs> but you go home now and there's no, that disconnect and being plugged in is just so constant now is that you never really get that switch off. You're always connected to whether it's work, whether it's other people socialise, it's just con- it's that constant and it's the volume. And I think the volume's the problem. So, you know, being able to set limits for yourself, knowing, you know, you know, I've heard of people putting, setting up certain folders and putting all their social content in in folders, you know, inside other folders. So it's like an effort to to get there to know, okay, I am going into going to do that. So it, it's really, it's hard. I think it's individuals trying to find techniques and 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 ways to manage their, their use of social media. Yeah. Oh, I really like those tips too, just setting limits. I mean, that's the one thing we can control is our own consumption of the, I know it's hard because it is addictive, like you said, but setting limits around our consumption, maybe you have certain times where you go on the app and then you, you're not. And then the folders is a thing I've never heard of before, but that's yeah, a great yeah, one because it makes it, yeah, makes it like, harder. There's a folder inside a folder because you'd normally have Instagram and Facebook and all your key app, like social apps that you use like right on your home screen. So it's really accessible. So it was just the way that he found that sort of triggered him off to know, oh, I am actually going into it again because the rates around people, it's funny how that addiction when people open an app and close it and then, they, you know, 30 seconds later they open their phone again and open it again. So it's just trying to let yourself, trying to be aware of, of those habits and, and, you know, trying to get on top of it. But it's hard because you've got so much investment and all the, the biggest organizations in the world trying to find ways to to make you you know keep you addicted to to their you know their their platform so it's it's a really hard job but you know it's yeah, yeah. They're really good tips. I like that one. The folders one I think is really great. It make it difficult for you to, to get into it. Uh, now you spoke a little bit about earlier the real talk series which is super amazing to be able to see women everyday women speak about their experiences to do with mental health issues they've either faced personally or they've maybe witnessed with people close to them. So what have you found from producing this series? Because I feel like 
having these conversations, what's the impact of these conversations had, have you noticed, with the community, the Lip Timber community, and also, you know, maybe people outside of the Lip Timber community um, engaging in these conversations? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, as part of the Lip Timber campaign, um, we developed the what we know as the Real Talk series. Um, and basically, it really stemmed from our need and want to um, be as um, authentic um, and transparent as possible, not just about mental health and illness, but also with our community that we're real people too, Luke and I and um, everyone else in our team. Like, um, so it's really important to talk your real talk and and it's not about, you know, glossy celebrities or anything like that. Mental illness can affect anybody. So, um, yeah, so we started the Real Talk series and we, we started it by reaching out to those who were fundraisers in our community. They're the people we talk to um, every day. So, um, and a lot of the women in our um, Liptemba community do have personal lived experience with mental illness. Um or are supporting a friend or a family member. And so, you know, who better to talk about their experience as well as fundraising for women's mental health and those fundraisers themselves and really putting them at the centre of everything that we do. So, um, so yeah, we started last year. We um, filmed uh, uh, eight um, of our loyal followers um, and their experiences. And what we found was that through some of the most um, deep stories that these women had, even though everyone's mental illness experience or mental health experience was different, there was a common thread that really bound everyone together. And, it, and it's almost this really uplifting and empowering thing to actually own your story and to go, yeah, this was my experience, but I'm going to share it with the world. Um, and it's almost like a freeing feeling for a lot of those women. Um, and it almost gives permission, not that you need permission, but it makes people feel safe and to do the same, to share their stories. And this is all part of our goal, I guess, in, in ending that stigma um, that's associated with um, talking about mental illness in the workplace, uh, with your friends, with, you know, with, with anybody. So um, we found a really great positive response of people who are just getting on and talking their real talk as well and just supporting each other and um, yeah, I, I, I just love seeing that part of it. Um, everyone coming together, women supporting women, men supporting women, um, you know, because it really, there are important men in our lives that really, um, help us get through some of those tough times and yeah, just sharing that with everybody and normalizing the conversation. Mm, I really love that too. And I think one of the things I really love about sharing stories and just storytelling in general is that it does like you said, does give that safe space and give permission for other people to feel okay about their own experiences. And even if they're not specifically sharing their story, when they hear another someone else's story, they can really connect and resonate with it and, and feel they're not alone in the experience, I suppose. Um, now, you guys work with you know, such incredible people in this space from, from advocates to, you know, everyday people, experts, psychologists. I'm interested to know what the most valuable lesson you have both learned from working with these people and how you sort of take that and apply it into your own lives around mental health or mental well-being because I know for me when I speak to people on the podcast I learn so much from everybody that there's all, always these nuggets of wisdom that I take away so I'm really interested to know what yours have been. It's a good, yeah it's a good question I, I was thinking about that even just the other day is that I think through the Real Talk series and meeting some of these women, like I, I really admire the vulnerability and the, the the ability to put yourself out there and 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 yeah, be be authentic and 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 share such personal details and embracing the fact that you know not everyone's perfect. And I think that's something that I really admire is just the courage to be real and to and to not try and put up a facade all the time. And I try and embrace that through, you know, it stems through into, into work is that, yeah, I'm not great at everything, you know, but, you know, all I can do is, to, you know, give things my best and, and always be learning, um, but not being, 
you know, it's something I, I've recently too, like working with our team and, and managing a team for the first time is not trying to pretend like I've got the answers for absolutely everything, being vulnerable enough to be, you know, admit when you don't have the answers and, and trying to put ego aside and, and, and be really, um, yeah, as we all, we're always using that word real is, is being really authentic. And, and yeah, I think that's something I've, I've picked up from some of the women we've spoken to is just, it's, it blows you away of how open and, and yeah, real they are um, with sharing some of those stories that they have. Mm, that's, re- that's a really nice thing to take away too, authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, great, great ones. How about you, Kat? Yeah, for me, I think I think it's just opened my eyes to just how unique everyone's experience is um, and I guess how we as a foundation and just as people really need to approach every topic um, with empathy and every, every person with empathy and an open mind um, because sometimes just listening um, can be something that's really helpful for somebody and um, having those open conversations. And we experience that every every day with a lot of the things that we do. And, and I'm not a mental health professional, but I'm an empathetic human being and I'm, I'm open to, to, to that as well. So I think it, that's what I've learned is how to kind of take that on board um, and make sure that I... Um, yeah, just approach everybody um, and their experience with empathy and an open mind. Um, and also, like Luke said, we don't have all the answers and that is why we lean on professionals in this space. We lean on psychologists. We lean on mental health professionals um, and other other people in the industry because they have answers that we don't and they help us really shaped the frameworks in which we operate. And I think that that's really important, um, making sure that it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, mm. I think we're doing, I think society in general has done a really good job so far. It's still a lot more we can do is to normalise and increase awareness around more common mental health issues such as anxiety, depression. I think when speaking to some of these women, and hearing stories around more complex mental health issues and something that we've uncovered in our research too is the need that people believe there is now a need and I guess the next bridge for us to cross is to start normalising more complex mental health issues um, and having people comfortable having conversations around them and not and destigmatizing more complex issues. So that's something else that's really, really interesting that's starting to, you know, when you speak to people with the, the experiencing these issues firsthand, is it's it's really interesting to to learn more about some of these issues. Mm, no, I think you're right. I mean, I feel like now anxiety and depression, especially after COVID, it's sort of the norm. I mean, everybody has experienced some level of that at some point over the last couple of years, but the more complex issues, perhaps if they become a little bit more normalized, then the whole sort of mental health banner just becomes this thing where we acknowledge that exists and and people deal with these things and it's very normal, you know, in in that way. And and so it it, um, allows people to share their stories and also connect with other people in that way. I really like that. Now, uh, outside of the foundation, I'm interested to know some lessons you guys personally have learnt around dealing with failure and rejection. So this is something I speak to all of my guests about <laughs> uh, because it's something that we all experience in life. So I'm interested to know what your biggest rejection or failure has been and what have you learnt from it? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm getting very used to it. Uh, you know, <laughs> 12 years of it. Uh, we were talking about. I talk about it the other day. Actually, I feel like sometimes I'm playing a giant game of snakes and ladders. Is that you know you make progress and you go and then you I constantly step on snakes and you go back like five spaces and you're like far out. I was making such progress and yeah, I've I've had so many. You know that that's what I always try and push is like you know if if I'm going to give myself credit for for something, it's persistence. And there's a lot of times that. I questioned what what we what I was doing and what we were doing and you know how I was going to get from A to B to even to C to D and um, I think if I had have thrown in the towel and you know there are times where I really did you know my, I remember when I was really young mum and dad going I think you know if you want to move out of home in the next thirty years you might want to think of doing something else <laughs> um, but. Yeah, but I was really passionate about it and I believed in what we were trying to do and, and I loved what I what I was doing and 
you know, we had that opportunity that was just around the corner and, and our break. And I think that's really powerful is that you never know what is around the corner. And, you know, if you can have that persistence to keep swimming and keep swimming, you know, I could have missed out on a really big opportunity that I was really sort of at a crossroads and I kept persisting. And, you know, a few months later I had, had an opportunity that really changed the whole landscape of what I was doing. So, um, yeah, p- persistence and, res- and it's easy to say it like, I've, you know, when you're, you've had a break or you're, you're doing well, but, you know, I still have to apply that now is that we still have, we have so many grand plans, what we want to do and what we want to achieve. And you're always going to hit roadblocks. And as a team, I think I try and embrace that with our team is that like, you know, shit happens. It's sort of like that mantra is like, we just, you know, we deal with it and then we take the next step forward. And we, if you believe in, and you have that conviction in what you do truly, then, you know, you can, you can sort of keep putting the, the one foot in front of the other and, and getting through tough periods. But yeah, I'm, I'm very used to uh, rejection and, and failure. It's nice to get used to in a way because then you're sort of like, well, you know, oh, another yeah. rejection, okay. I'm a, I'm a bit, uh, cats, that's the way Kat and I are beautiful in terms of how we work is we're very yin and yang. It's I'm glass half empty and she's half full. So I'm yeah. very pe- pessimistic from years of, of you know, being let down on things and Kat's the one that's optimistic and we generally meet in the middle and yeah. we we seem to have, a, I guess, a good expectation of what the outcome will be as it is. So generally we'll either you know, land in the middle somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I find that's a really, like, it's it's a really, um, really great and special part of our relationship that we have in our working relationship. That's so great. What about you, Kat? What's been your um, biggest rejection or failure and what have you learned from it? Well, <laughs> I thought, thinking about this, I feel like rejection and failure are two very different things for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like I get rejection every single day. Um, my toddler throws things at me constantly. Um, so I feel like that's, yeah, like easy to brush off. I'm used to rejection and I can handle that really well. Um, but failure is another thing because I I think I'm still learning. Like I'll be honest, I, I, don't, I don't deal with failure very well, but I think it's what my personal expectations are of failure versus what other people think if I'm failing or not mm-hmm. um you know for example if I don't feel like I'm meeting a, a an expectation that I've placed on myself to be a great mom and to be um you know a great wife and be a great um you know employee as well like I feel like sometimes I'm failing in one area or another um, but, you know, each of the people in my life will be like, you're not failing. You're, yeah, you're doing a really good job. And you, But it's that personal expectation mm. that you place on yourself. And, yeah, I think, yeah, honestly, I'm still working on it. I think it's a work in progress and yeah. I need to get better at, you know, adopting a different mindset that is, you know, some things are outside of your control and sometimes you don't need to strive for perfection in certain areas. Um, but I think... It's about me um, understanding and realizing what's important to me and my life and um, and the people in my life, and they will always come first. And um, that's a beautiful thing about my job is that you know that's the culture that we're um, that we're supported in, which is also great. So yeah, I'm allowed to I'm allowed to fail. I'm allowed to do all these things, um, but I think I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to a lot of that. <laughs> I think I'm. So many people are, though. I think that's so common, right? Yeah, no, but that's something I always say to the girls is not to be scared of failure, is, like, have a go. And, like, you know, I, I, I'm really passionate about creating a, a working environment and a culture where there's, there isn't that fear of, like, oh, I'm going to be raped over the coals for that decision. It's like, you know, well, I make mistakes all the time, like we all do, and I think, you know, we've got to be a bit, it sounds a bit corny but a bit nicer to ourselves is that we do place really high expectations and pressures on ourselves and you know we you know it, that's really unhealthy at times and and that's what I'm really really strong on is is always saying to Kat and Kat is a perfectionist so that can be difficult at times but saying like it's fine like you know you're going to fail and you have the permission to fail at times and we treat it as a learning experience like you, all you can do is, is learn from it and um yeah I think I think it is that expectation and putting too much pressure on yourself that it's it's, you know life is is really hard and you know it's getting harder and harder and I think 
we make it even harder by putting those expectations on ourselves even further. So, no, I think they were one, that was one of the stats in the in the research as well as that women in their thirties. Uh, one of the the top triggers is the expectation we put on ourselves, and yes. not even from other people. It's it's the it's what we the standards that we uphold for ourselves are so high. Uh, and then, and then, if you fail to meet them, then it's you know you've you've got this sort of you're not feeling great. But I think That's it's right. it was know, one of the highest triggers for yeah. um, the top three mental health issues. Yeah. yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, I, mean, I feel it's quite common. So I, a, a message for all of us is to just be a little bit nicer to ourselves. Exactly. Uh, so one of the other questions I ask my guests is your about your life philosophy or your life mantra. So I'm interested to know both of you. If you had an overarching life philosophy or a mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? That's a really good one. Um, I like personally at the moment, I'm really trying to uh, keep a focus on being in the moment and not getting too caught up in looking so far down the track and and worrying and creating anxiety of the what ifs. And I guess that's a natural aspect of my role and what I do in my job is always worrying about, you know, trying to control the future and what you can do. And, you know, I'm trying to embrace, you know, accepting and, and being comfortable with it. You know, I'll deal with that when it comes. And when that, when that presents itself, I'll deal with that. And I think in the past, like my personality type is I'll find something to worry about and create anxiety over. And I will, you know, freak and stress. And then sometimes it never eventuates anyway. So I've wasted all that energy and stressed myself out for nothing. So, you know, and I think that's also, again, all this stuff flows into your personal life as well as, you know, I have a seven-year-old son who's just, you know, my absolute world. And, you know, I don't like being on my phone or, you know, in work is like, I want to be in the moment with him and, and enjoy those moments and not have to look back and go, oh, gee, I love that time back, you know, when he was at this age or that age because maybe there was times that – and he's kids are great with that too. Like when he was younger, sometimes you'd be like, get off your phone, Dad, or, or do so. <laughs> being in that moment, you know, not trying to get too hung up on the past or the future – um yeah I think that's a big one for me at the moment yeah I like that that's really nice live more in the moment yeah yeah what about you Kat I I don't have like a one philosophy or mantra but I think if I just had to pick one off the top of my head um today it would be you know just about embracing change um I'm a Virgo. I don't do that very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I definitely try to do that. I always get thrown a lot of curveballs. And I think, you know, being a parent too is really hard. Each season season changes and you feel like you're nailing stuff at one point. And then a couple of months later, you're, the routine changes or, you know, things like that get thrown your way and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm just trying to, yeah, get better at embracing change and rolling with it. Just just roll with it, take it as it comes um, and, yeah, hopefully um, live a, a happy and whole life because of it, trying to let go of some of the stuff that I can't control. Yes, I love that. That's that's so good. So we've got two amazing uh, life philosophies to live by or to incorporate into our lives, which is be in the moment and embrace change. I really love those. Very really. similar. So, so it says about yeah. a lot of the, our work environment, I think, is the challenges <laughs> that we get thrown. So, yeah, it's funny how they align a little bit too. So. Yeah, it all incorporates, isn't it? Yeah. Now, what's very exciting is obviously the Lip Timber campaign is on in September. And so for those people listening who don't really know what it is, uh, and how they can get involved. Can you take us through what's going on and how people can actually get involved with this campaign? And obviously it's all for, um, you know, women's mental health. So tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, so the Liptember Foundation runs um, the annual flagship Liptember campaign each September. Um, so it's about popping a little colour on to start the conversation off, um, really just encouraging people to wear lipstick uh, as a lighthearted and fun way to raise awareness for women's mental health, but also raise um, some money at the same time and have a little fun with it. Um, and I think since um, 2010, we've raised $12 million and, you know, we want to keep seeing that um, increase so we can make the biggest impact possible. So, yeah, we encourage um, people to sign up on our website um, as a fundraiser. Um, and that's liptember.com.au. Um, sign up as a fundraiser, do it with some friends, have a team, um, register to wear your lippy um, in a, for a day, a week or a month, the whole month. Um, 
and yeah, rock it proudly, start those conversations and, um, and yeah, get involved and, and, you know, do it at your workplace, your school, um, you know, on social media, take a selfie, show, showing your, you know, brightest rainbow lipstick look or something. Um, so that's the main way. Um, but there's lots of other ways as well. If you don't want to fundraise, um, there's, uh, buying official lip timber merchandise and lip timber lipsticks, um, donating, um, or just raising awareness, literally just starting a conversation with one person. Um, that's a great way to get involved too. I really love it. And it's that, you know, what I love so much about it is that it's such a fun, lighthearted campaign, even though we're talking about some quite serious topics. Um, yeah. Sometimes when we're talking about mental health, it can get quite serious. And so this is re- a really nice way to bring the two together and just really kind of make it lighthearted and bring awareness to uh, women's mental health. I'm I'm so excited for this campaign. And, and obviously, um, along with Kevin's Warehouse, you'll be doing your uh, mindful uh, morning as well, which I'll see Luke at um, a little bit later in the month. But thank you, guys. I'm, where else can people find all the amazing work of of Lip Timber and you know on socials and all those kinds of things? Where can they find all your good work and what you do? Yeah, so um, our Instagram handle is at Lip Timber, um, and we have a Facebook page too. We also have a community group. So um, if you want to look up Lip Timber Community on Facebook, um, join our community, be part of it. There's lots of women supporting women in there, um, talking mental health and a whole bunch of other things. Um, yeah, but we are all over social media and hopefully you guys see us all over social media <laughs> in September. <laughs> yeah, but also as well, so I think um, the Lip Timber Foundation, um, liptemberfoundation.org.au is sort of, I guess, more of where we house all our, you know, the research report that people can download, um, a lot of information around the outcomes that we fund and the program services and initiatives that we support you know, a bit more information about our team and the, and why we're doing what we're doing and how we make informed impact and how we're making sure that we're really making a change in the space. Um, so they're both aligned. They both interconnect really naturally. I guess the campaign is a way to get involved and raise funds for that foundation. And if you want a bit more information around why we're doing it, you know, the Timber Foundation is where we house all of that information. Yeah, amazing. We'll pop all of those links up in the show notes as well, guys. Uh, obviously, if you want to join the Timber campaign and also to the Timber Foundation, we'll pop those links up. The impact report and then also the research, I think is super fascinating to go through. I, I really enjoyed um, looking at all of that stuff stuff so if you're interested in finding more stuff we'll pop all of those links up in the show notes thank you again so much for joining me luke and kat it's been such a great chat i'm sure we could chat for a while about all of this stuff (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i'm I'm sure everyone listening will have learned so much from your journey both your journeys and your insights as well thank you guys for listening tell us what you loved and learned from this episode by leaving a five-star rating and review over at apple Podcasts. and make sure you screenshot this episode tag us and share it to your socials thank you again so much for joining me guys and thank you guys for listening we'll catch you next time on the rage active podcast.